Thank you for listening to Sermon Audio from Hill City Church in Springfield, Missouri. We are a community of believers who exist to glorify God by making disciples who bring gospel restoration to our city and world. For more information about Hill City or to support our ministry, you can find us online at hillcitysgf.org. Hi, I'm Faith, and I'm going to be reading scripture today. Um, Luke 14, 1 through 6. One Sabbath, when he went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees, they were watching him carefully. And behold, there was a man there who had dropsy. And Jesus responded to the lawyers and Pharisees, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. Then he took him and healed him and sent him away. And he said to them, Which of you, having a son or an ox that has fallen into a well on the Sabbath day, will not immediately pull him out? And they could not reply to these things. Thank you. This is the word of God. Um, Real quick, real quick, go with me here. Bow your heads. Okay, Father, we just read your word. So now, open open our eyes. Open our eyes, open our hearts, that we can behold awesome things from your word this morning. That's our prayer. And Jesus' name we pray, amen. Okay, so we've been in Luke forever. I know a lot of you have, have come to Hill City since we started Luke like seven years ago. Just kidding, we haven't been in church that long, but it seems like seven years ago. We've been in Luke a long time. I want to do a quick review just briefly on Luke the man, and I think it might set the tone a little bit or help us understand this passage maybe just a little bit. If not, it just helps you get some context of the book of Luke. So Luke, who wrote, who wrote this uh, gospel, he was a doctor. He was also a fantastic historian, okay? He was not Jewish. He was a Greek guy, okay? And here's the deal. He set out to investigate the life of Jesus. Now, he was sent out by a guy named Theophilus. Now, from here forward, I'm just going to call him Theo because it's easier to say. So Theo sent Luke on this journey to find out who Jesus was. Now, now Theo was a Roman, and he's a Roman who, who believed in Jesus. I believe he, he was saved, and he's like, man, I need to know more about this Jesus. And I think he had means. So he finds Luke. He said, I'm going to send you on a journey. I'm going to send you on an investigative tour, and I'm going to fund it. So Theo sends Luke on this journey, and Luke sets out, and he interviews as many eyewitnesses as possible. And his goal in this gospel, right, he tells us, In Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 3. So if you're wondering what Luke is about, he says, It seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you. Most excellent Theophilus. So Luke set out to write an orderly account. You want to read an orderly account of Jesus' life? Read Luke. That was his whole goal. But then he goes on in verse 4 and says, That you may have certainty... Concerning the things that you have been taught. And so is the case for you and I as we read Luke. That we can know it's an orderly account and we know that we can have certainty concerning the things that we read about Jesus and Luke. And that takes us today into our passage which is chapter 14. Now Jesus is making his way to Jerusalem. Right? He knows what's going to happen there. Most people don't. He's making his way to the cross right here uh, in chapter 14. He's on his way. Okay? We pick up in verse 1. He says, One Sabbath, when he went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees, they were watching him carefully. So Jesus goes to dine, right? And he didn't just like go for a, a Sunday lunch. He goes to the house of a bigwig. 
Like he's going to go sit with the big shot and eat. And here's what it says about all the people at this lunch. It's like they were watching Jesus carefully. And if, you, if you've been with us, you know that's kind of how the Pharisees did things. They were always watching Jesus carefully. But we need to know in this scene in chapter 14 that Jesus is without question being set up by the Pharisees. Okay, now, in my personal reading right now, I am, I am doing this. I am reading Acts and Romans, and I'm going back and reading Acts and Romans, and I'm just going to do that until I feel like the Lord's like, okay, you've done that enough. Okay, but that's what I'm doing. And here's why I'm telling you that. So Luke also wrote Acts. Okay, so he wrote Luke, he wrote Acts, and then Paul wrote Romans. Well, Luke and Paul were like this. Right? I, I, I even believe Luke was Paul's personal physician because Paul had some health issues. Right? If you remember Paul, he was Saul and he was walking on this road trying to kill Christians. Right? And the Lord showed up and a bright light like blinded him. Uh, I think his eyes were jacked up from that point on. Also, if you know Paul, once he met Jesus, as he was traveling, spreading good news of Jesus... Um, he got beat up a lot. Like, he was left for dead a few times, right? And, and, I, and I have a feeling that when you take, like, stones off your cranium or off your rib cage or off every part of your body, um, that kind of messes you up for life also. So I've read. So Luke had his work cut out for him as a physician with his patient, Paul, but they were also buddies. Now, why am I telling you this? They traveled together. I have no doubt that Paul, in his conversations with Luke, confirmed some of the things that we would read in the Gospels that the Pharisees did, specifically like their, the way they would set up Jesus. Because Paul would have probably been in on many of those scenes as a young lad, right? As a, as a learning Pharisee. He would have been like, he would have heard some of the conversations. I think he would have confirmed with Luke, like, oh yeah, no question, they were trying to set Jesus up. Yeah, no question, here's how they did it. And I believe Paul was one of the eyewitnesses that Luke interviewed. Well, he would have definitely had firsthand knowledge of a lot of the stories, uh, a lot of the things that happened with Jesus. So that takes us, uh, that, that, j- j- just, just, I just wanted you to know that. It takes us to verse 2. Jump in verse 2, right? So, so Jesus is sitting with all these Pharisees, doing dinner or doing lunch with them, being watched carefully. So... so, so And behold, there was a man before him who had dropsy. Okay, edema would be another word for that. That, that, That's this disease, right? And the limbs of the body would be swollen because of water or a bodily fluid. And usually this would would be because of a heart disease or a kidney disease or a liver disease or all above. But for whatever reason, um, there would be deformities and swelling because of this. Okay, now... In this culture, the rabbis that were present, the Pharisees that were present would have without question believed the reason this man was the way he was is because he was, there was sin in his life. He was sinful, like ceremonially unclean, which, which means also in this culture, there is no way that this group of people would have ever eaten with this guy unless they were using him for their own agenda, because they didn't eat with sinners. So here we have this guy sitting there with the disease being used by some pretty 
nasty dudes. And Jesus responded to the lawyers and Pharisees, saying, is it lawful to heal on a Sabbath or not? All right, so, so imagine this dinner scene, right? They're sitting around eating. You kind of imagine like you hear forks clanging on plates, even though they probably wasn't there at the time, but just go with me, right? And it's quiet, and the Pharisees are watching Jesus closely. closely. What's he going to do? Here's the guy we're using. Jesus eating. And here Jesus, like Jesus, like he, he was pretty good at like taking over a scene. You know what I mean? Didn't bother him too much. And, and you've been with us in Luke, right? So Jesus could ask some questions and basically 100% of his questions were like totally on point. Like had a great, like just right as they needed to be asked, perfectly asked. And here he goes with another question. He knew he was being set up, and with this question, he flips the script on the Pharisees. But they remained silent. Why would they remain silent? He just asked a question. So they set out to set Jesus up. He asked a question, and really they're trapped. Okay, so, so if you guys don't know, many of you do know. So I have four kids, right? So my second born is, is Brecken, right? He's my second born. He's my son. Um, so Brecken is super competitive, if you know this about Brecken. If you play Brecken in anything, he's got one goal and one goal in mind. That's to snatch your soul, right? And he's six, and he, that's just the way he is. So, so, so we play tic-tac-toe, right? Parents, tic-tac-toe with your kids. Okay, so here's the deal. We don't let our kids win in our house, okay? So I know that's going to anger some of you. We just don't do that. So I'm playing my six-year-old, and I'm owning him. And you, you can set up two-way wins, right, all the time in tic-tac-toe, right? So with Brecken, when he sees that a two-way win is like it's, it's over, he refuses to even put his O or X on the paper. It's awesome. Like, he sees it, and he's like, he bites, yeah, he bite. and he will not, it's quiet. Now, that came to my mind. Here, Jesus, he asked a question to these Pharisees. Hey, is it lawful for me to heal on the Sabbath? And I, I think they had said, wait, this is a, two, he just got us with a two-way win. Because here's the deal, if they say no, well then they're not merciful, then there's, there's, no, there's no grace in them, no compassion in them, but, it, but if they say yes, if we know this about the Pharisees, see, they, they wrote their little book, they had this little book that they wrote, right, with all these rules, and there's these rules that even God didn't even write, but they made up their own rule book, and if they would have told Jesus, yeah, you can go ahead and heal them, guess what, then they're breaking their little rule book, so they're trapped, So the Bible says they remain silent. I don't know how long Jesus let it stay silent. I just I don't think awkward silences were awkward for Jesus. I think he asked the question, just let it cook. But not forever. Because check this out. 
Then he took him and he healed him and he sent him away. Now remember, this guy is being, this guy with the disease is being used by some evil dudes. Jesus does three things. He took him and he healed him and then he sent him away. Let's first look at he took him. See, this word implies here a, a seizing or a grabbing. And make no mistake about it, this man with the disease was an outcast. He was a, he was a person on the margins of society. He was a person that was deemed ceremonially unclean. And Jesus didn't give a rip. And he took him. And it said he healed him. Now listen, Jesus didn't have to take him before he healed him. Jesus could have spoken it and the dude would have been healed. But he didn't do that. He took him. And it says, and then he healed him. And make no mistake, listen, there was a physical healing, no doubt. Immediate physical healing. But with this man who had this disease, there would have also been an emotional healing. There would also uh, have been a spiritual healing. Because that's what the gospel does. Like, that's what restoration is. When the gospel makes its way in, it's a, it's a holistic restoration. And he'll see, church, that is, that is what we want to be about. See, we, we want first individuals in this church. If Hill City is your church, I'm talking to you. We want individuals of Hill City Church to go out I want you to find the people who are outcasts. Find the people on the margins of society. Find, find the people who, who do not know Jesus. And here's what we want you to do. We want you to take them. We want you to embrace them. We want you to love them. We want you to share Jesus with them. And we, don't, we don't just want individuals to do that. We, we want this church corporately to be about that. We just started our For the City Center this week. Just had our grand opening you know what that is? That's, that's us as a church saying, you know, what, you know what we want Hill City to do? We want Hill City to take Springfield, take our region, and embrace it, and hug it, and seize it, and bring healing to it. Church, I, I just got to ask you this question. Have you ever, have you ever wanted to love someone, or have you ever wanted to engage with someone, but then been tempted to kind of look over your shoulder in fear of, of, of disapproval from other Christians? You know what I'm talking about? I mean, I need to go, I need to go here. I need to go meet this guy here. I need to go talk to this girl over here. And man, this person's hurting. I know they're hurting. This person doesn't know Jesus, but I'm, I'm going to jump in their world. But then we stop and we're like, my Christian friends, would not, they would not want me to go here. That's not the way of our king. He took him. And then he healed him. He didn't stop there. Then, then he says he sent him away. I think, I think this is multifaceted here, but, but, but it's kind of like a double healing. Like he didn't just heal him. Then he's like, hey, you know what? Here's the deal. I'm going to send you away 
you have been used by these wicked people. You don't have to be here anymore. You don't have to be around them anymore. You are free because whom the Son sets free is free indeed. And this is just another way Jesus says, I'm going to send you, go. And in this healing, make no mistake about it, we see a picture of our own salvation. It says Jesus took him and Jesus took us. Jesus healed. Listen, this guy who was being used, listen, this is huge. He had no part in his healing. He didn't invite Jesus. He didn't even ask Jesus to heal him. He had no part in his healing. Jesus' power and Jesus' work is what did the healing, not this man's. It was grace. This man had nothing to boast about in his healing, and so is our case with our salvation. This man was then set free by Jesus, just like we are set free by Jesus. And then, just like, this, just like in our salvation, this man was sent by Jesus. And so we are sent by Jesus. You see the picture here? So verse 5, here Jesus goes again with a question. I think if I could, like, Lord, give me one superpower, I'd be like, let me ask questions like Jesus asks questions. Like, he's brilliant. Like his timing, the way he asked him, like, I want that skill. It's amazing. Here he goes, verse 5. And he said to them, hey, which of you having a son or an ox that was fallen into a well on a Sabbath day will not immediately pull him out? Checkmate Jesus. Here's the, I don't want to read anything into this scripture. Um, I don't like that. But, but if you can just kind of imagine for me with a minute, just let me play around up here, okay? I, Jesus asked this question. I could just imagine in the Pharisees' minds going, that's a pretty good question. I guess if my ox or my son fell in, I, I, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Is he saying the guy he just healed is his, just like my ox or my son is right over here, Jesus. He, you know, he's looking at him going, yeah, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Now, I don't know if that happened, but it'd have been cool if it did. Here's what I do know happened. And they could not reply to these things. I don't know why. I don't know why they couldn't reply. Was it humiliation? Like they set Jesus up. It didn't work. They were kind of humiliated, so they just were quiet. Were they embarrassed? So they, oh. did they Did they realize, oh man, our plan backfired. Let's just back away slowly. Think about a plan. I don't know. I don't know why they were quiet. So what's the point? Like, what's the point 
of this passage. Because here, here's the reality. A lot of your Bibles may even have a subheading that says, okay, healing of a man on the Sabbath. But I, I, don't, even, I don't think this particular passage really leads us to talk much about the Sabbath, right? The Pharisees were doing this all the time, trying to catch Jesus on the Sabbath, right? If, if, we taught on the Sabbath, so when they did this before, and Luke, we taught on it. You can go back to our podcast if you want to listen and, and learn more about the Sabbath and, and kind of how that works. But I don't think that's the point here. And for sure, I'll just tell you, that's not where the Lord led, led me here in this passage. So what is the point of this passage? And here's what I think the point is. Because I don't think it's about the meaning of Sabbath or what we should or shouldn't do on the Sabbath. I just don't. I think the point is this. I think it's, this passage is about a group of religious people who are so focused on themselves and their religion that they refuse to acknowledge what is right in front of them. That's what I think this passage is about. So in light of that, here's what I'd like to do for the remainder of our time. Can, Hill City, can, can we just talk about religion? That the heart of all religions are, are questions that, that long to be answered. Right? And here, here are just a few of them, right? How can I be in right standing with God or the gods or whatever it is? How can I be in right standing with a higher power? Or, or how do I find purpose in life? How do I find my destiny? Why am I here? So human beings have forever been building ladders to try to get answers to these questions. And your result, by and large empty result, has been religion. Now, when I say religion, from here forward today, when I say religion, here's what I'm talking about. Any work, any work that you do to get answers or validation to the questions that I just asked that is outside of the belief of the gospel of Jesus. Okay? So, so that's what it is. Moving forward. Anything outside of the gospel, good news of Jesus Christ, any work that you do for validation, for those answers, I'm calling religion. And to be clear, the gospel of Jesus is that Jesus did the work. Like he came, he lived a perfect life, then he died, was crucified, he was buried, he rose again, he conquered sin, he conquered death, he conquered the devil. That's the good news of Jesus. Anything outside of that, I'm calling that religion. See, the Pharisees that we're talking about in Luke 14, they, they, they kind of lived this life where exterior behavior was the thing, along with some commandments that they had written in their little book, that were additions to what God had asked them to do. And they believed if, if, if they had good exterior behavior and they followed these extra rules that, that, that they kind of did God a solid and kind of helped them out because he didn't really complete what it, maybe he should have completed. And if they followed this and they believed they, they would create enough capital in heaven... That when they got there, God just couldn't say no to them. It's kind of like they had a resume 
right? And, and they believe they're going to sit at a table with the creator of the universe and just kind of slip the resume across the table, right? And in their mind that God would take it and look at it and go, oh, that's, that's impressive. Oh, I like that rule. I should have thought of that one. That's religion. Religion says that you gain merit by going beyond what God asks you to do. Religion says I can raise the bar for God and actually behave even beyond what He ever asked me to do so that He can be proud of me. He can accept me. And there's no possible way he'd ever say no to me because of what I have done. Religion says, I have done this for you, God, or I have done this for you, gods. Now, there's no possible way that you could say no. Furthermore, now that I have done this, you should do this for me. That's religion. Hill City Church. We, we must stay gospel-centered in every single thing that we do. We, we rehearse the gospel every time we gather. We will not stop doing it. If you get sick of it, you're going to continue to get sick of it. We're not going to stop doing it. One of the reasons we're not going to stop doing it is this. All of us flirt so closely with religion that it's dangerous. Many of us even slip in and out of religion. Most of us. Why? Because we're human and religion is our default mode. So here's what I want to do. Can I just give us some warning signs that we might be way more into religion than what we should be? Can I do that? Okay. Okay. So, so, so even if you said no, I'm going to do it. No. Now before I do this, I need to... I need to caveat, right? So our creative pastor is not here today. Um, he's in Branson uh, at, a, at a marriage retreat with about 50 of our people. All right, here, here's my point. I don't have creative juices. So, so what I'm getting ready to do is going to sound eerily similar to like the Jeff Foxworthy, you might be a redneck. Okay, except for I'm not going to say redneck, I'm just going to say religious. And it sounds eerily like that because that's exactly where I got it. Because I'm not creative, okay? Now, finally, I'm, I must let you know this. So I, I'm from Bonterre, Missouri, okay? So I love it. I love Bonterre. If you went to Bonterre, Missouri, you would love it less than me. So, so just know that when we do this, you might be thinking that you can take the boy out of Bonterre, but not, all, not, not, not take the Bonterre out of the boy, okay? That's what's going to happen now. Are, you, are we ready? Okay. So some warning signs. That you might be religious. You might be religious if people can only define you by what you are against. Like, are you negative all the time? Are you just critical of everything all the time? Are you looking for a fight? Like, we all know the type, right? It's like, it's, it's, it's the guy who believes in Jesus. He's just mad about it. You know what I mean? Hill City Church, that's not, that's not what we want to be. We want to be people who are passionately in love with Jesus, and we're not mad about it. Like, we're, we're just 
thrilled that Jesus would choose us. You might be religious if repentance is for everyone else except for you. Like, I call these people the spiritual police, right? They're running around. You know, what the Pharisees do with Jesus? They were watching him closely. That's what religious people do. They watch everybody else closely. How dare you say Jesus died for me? Jesus died for God. Don't be so stupid. You know what I mean? Like, yes, we know that, but. Quit. You need to quit that. I am, I'm here to point this out where you're wrong. Hey, you need to work on this. You need to work on this. Hey, how could you ever do that? Because in a religious person, there's no pattern of repentance. But man, they can point out where everybody else is wrong. We saw it in this story. Jesus proves the Pharisees wrong. Right? He asked them a question twice, and twice there was silence. And both times they had the chance, right? Here's what they could have done. That's a great question. And come to think of it, you're right. Jesus, we're wrong. And I'm sorry. Religious people don't do that. Religious people never say, I was wrong. You might be into religion if you avoid helping hurting people. So, so newsflash, people's lives are kind of gross. Yours is, mine is. And, and, and here's the reality. If you start peeling back layers of people's lives, here's what we learn really quickly. Like a Christian cliche doesn't cut it. Right? When things kind of stink and somebody's like, you know, buddy, you just need to let go and let God. Right? Right? I don't know. This is my sin, but I just want to like jab to the Adam's apple. See, religious people love those cliches. I'd, I'd even say this, religious people are like, hey, go, go memorize this one verse. Everything's going to be great because that's neat. And religious people, they don't, they don't get into the mess of people's lives. They don't get to know hurting people. They don't get to know their families. They don't get to know their circumstances. They don't get to know their sin because that's not neat. How about this one for religious? If a bulk of your efforts are to convince already believing Christians to believe more like you than efforts to talk to people who don't believe in Jesus yet, that's religious. Like you have Joy Stealer, who's just going to go find somebody. Yeah, they believe in Jesus, but let me tell you where you're wrong on everything that you believe about Jesus. And you need to come be on my team. Or a person who offers hope 
to people who do not yet believe in Jesus. And listen, just to be clear, I am not talking about a young believer who, who needs to be discipled and taught the ways of Jesus. I'm not talking about that. You, I, I think most of you know what I'm talking about. Those people that kind of roam the church and try to pick people to be on their team because their theology is up here and everyone else's is here. That's what religious people do. You might be religious if you confuse doctrine with procedures. So what do you mean by that? So like, here's what we know. The Bible says this. We got, we got a parent, parent conference coming up, right? Cultivate Parent Conference. You can get signed up right now. Little plug, shameless. Here's what the Bible says. Parents, train up your children. Okay. What school should I send my kids to? The Bible doesn't tell us that. Well, God, if you're going to raise your kids God's way, you, you should put them in a private Christian school. If you're going to do it the right way, you should homeschool. No, if you're going to do it the right way, you put them in a public school where they can be around non Listen, that's pr- those are procedures. And a religious person is the one that's telling you, here's, here's how you should educate your kids. And we're saying this. No, the Bible just says train up, train up your children the way they should go. Parents, that's your job. You've got to figure out the way they should go. And then when they're old, they won't depart from it. The Bible says sing to the Lord. We just did it. I love doing it. The Bible says sing to the Lord. What songs? And, and Should we use instruments to do that? And which ones should we use to do that? Bible doesn't say. But I know this. It does say sing to the Lord, so that's what we're going to do here. But see, religious, a religious person says, no, these are the songs you should sing, and these are the instruments that you use. This is the way you should do it. That's what religious people do. There are biblical principles. Hear me, Hill City Church. There are biblical principles that are timeless. We will never abandon those we will be faithful to those, but the way in which we might obey those principles will change and fluctuate in this church. So here's what I'm asking you, Hill City Church, do not, do not, college students, listen to me, do not fall in love with the way that we do church here. Don't fall in love with the way we teach, don't fall in love with the way we sing, don't fall in love with the worship leader that does it most of the time. Don't fall in love with the way we do communion. Don't fall in love with that. Those are just procedures. Here's what we're going to ask you to do. Fall in love with Jesus. And fall in love with his church. And serve her. And some of you are going to do it this way. And some of you are going to do it this way. And some of you are going to do it this way. And that's awesome. So here's the last one, and here, here's what I want to do. I, I want to sit down and just, okay, Daniel's not here, so just, so you me conversation, okay? So like, I, I don't look very nice, okay? I get it, and Daniel reminds me of this often. 
okay? That's what brothers do, right? They just jab, like, and then, then he adds some injury to, to, or insult to injury, but he's like, hey, and with your beard, it's, it's like no one can even see you smile when you're smiling. Okay, I love you. And here, here, here we go. Let's just sit down and have a conversation. I'm trying to take a posture of humility and niceness. So that's what this is about. Okay? Religion could be a problem for you if you have abandoned the mission of God, but you still come around on Sundays. Okay, listen. So I don't want to guilt you or shame you into being on mission for God. That's not what this is about. This is about the Bible Belt America and that people, by and large, still think that coming to church on Sunday makes God proud of them. And that's just not the gospel. Furthermore, if you're a person and you're just like, you come to church on Sunday because that's your religious duty, I love you, man. That, listen, that is a lame way to spend your Sundays. Meaning this, like we were snowed out last week, right? Hey, no, let's just be honest. Did anybody? Last Sunday was awesome. Right? Like pajamas, sleeping in, hanging out with my family. I could get used to it. Man, we, listen, if you're just a church attender, we want you here. We love you. We're glad that you are here. We want so much more for you than that. There are so many stories in this church of people who just sat in church year after year after year and they, and they never really plugged into the mission of God. It's like, man, I came to Hill City. I knew, I knew something had to change. And they plugged into the mission of God for the first time in their life and they came alive. That's what we want for you. And you come in here just Sunday in, Sunday out, and just be a church attender, that is a slow, brutal death. And we want so much more for you than that. Everything we have, okay, just to reiterate, everything we have we have because of Jesus. Right? So, so you woke up this morning. Guy used to disciple me, used to do this. I'm going to do it with you guys. You ready? Just take a deep breath with me. Ready? I'll exhale. Isn't God good? Like Jesus just did that for us. So, so if, he, if everything we have is because of Jesus, if everything we have has been given to us by Jesus, don't you think we ought to talk about that guy Sunday through Sunday? Let's go be on mission for him.
this is, this is not a, a day that I wanted you to, f- I don't want anybody here to feel bashed, but I also, I don't want us as Hill City to, I don't want us to toot our horn here either. Like we've got this figured out, like, hey, we've got this, and there are a lot of religious people out there that don't get it. Because if we do that, then we're just guilty of religion. But this passage, Luke 14, 1 through 6, I just, I, I just wanted us and know that we always must be reminded of the gospel. We always must be reminded of Jesus because religion is our default mode. Now hear me. Here's how I know, listen, as a pastor of this church, here's how I know that religion is still a default mode among Hill City. Okay, and what I'm getting ready to say is, is, is hard for me to say and it's going to be hard for you to hear. I'm acknowledging that. But I got to go here because I love you. Here's how I know that religion is still default mode for many of us. Because many of us still get surprised when something bad happens to a good person. And I'm not talking about just hurting for someone and being heartbroken over something bad. I'm talking about stepping back and going, man, how could God do that? How could God allow that? That person is such a good person. That person has followed Jesus faithfully. How could... Listen, I love you. That is a religious response. Here's another one. Some of you have family members, and they're not following Jesus. And deep down, you're like, Lord, I've given my whole life to you. I've followed you. Why would you not have my family member get saved? And listen, I'm not telling you not to pray for your family. I'm not telling you not to share the gospel with them, but to think that the Lord is going to save your family member because you've been so faithful is a religious response. Because here's the gospel. Jesus owes us nothing. And that is good news. He owes us nothing, but for our sake, He made Him to be sin who knew no sin so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. 2 Corinthians 5.21 So so when we think we've done enough good things for God that He ought to respond to us, we we should not forget Isaiah 64.6 where it says, We have all become like one who is unclean, and all of our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. Some versions say filthy rags. I will let you do your research on what that means. Now, to be clear, how have we become like one who is unclean? Here's the answer we were born. We were born. That's how we become like someone who is unclean. And hear me, if you are struggling to believe that about yourself, that you are unclean and that your righteousness and anything you've ever done that's good, if you struggle to believe that that is filthy rags to God, that is a very religious response. 
because we were born. And that's how. we become filthy. Romans 5.12 says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. And the gospel is this. But God, Romans 5.8, shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So let me finish what I said earlier about the gospel is this. Jesus owes us nothing. Yet he gave us everything. We have nothing to boast about. The, the man who was healed in this passage today had nothing to boast about in his healing, and neither do we. Jesus didn't owe that man to heal him, but he did. Jesus didn't owe it to us to save us, but he did. That's the gospel. And it's in that light that we come to the table to receive communion. It's another gospel rehearsal Right? We're welcome to the table because of Jesus, not, because, not from anything that we did. We, we get to come to the table because of Jesus.